One of the main causes of conflict in marriage is we become so disappointed in our partner. We had expected so much more of them. It's fascinating to watch couples at the beginning of their married lives together. If somebody criticizes their partner, they immediately spring to their partner's defense. That tends to wear off after a while. And now our expectations begin to be dashed. What we used to call strong, we now call stubborn. What we used to call gentle, we now call weak. That was Rob Parsons doing some straight talk to an audience he was presenting to on the topic of love and marriage. You're listening to Focus on the Family with Graham Schnell, and I'm Alison Schnell. Graham, Rob always says it as it is, and in his brilliant way, manages to candidly tell stories that cut right to the heart. You're right, Alison. I think that we've heard many of the concepts that Rob speaks about regarding marriage before. But when Rob highlights some of those age-old principles, his words seem to drive home the point with incredible power. And on today's program, among other things, Rob is going to address the issue of conflict in marriage. And he'll guide couples into an understanding of some of those classic mistakes we can make in dealing with conflict. Yeah, well, let's pick up on our program where we left off yesterday with Rob Parsons addressing an audience he spoke to a little while ago. Well, if that first phrase was, I had so many more expectations, and the second one was, we don't talk anymore, the third is, we just don't have time for each other. Somebody has worked out, if we drive about 20,000 miles a year, we will spend six months of our lives waiting for red traffic lights to change. They reckon we spend about two years looking for things and about 24 years asleep. Well, you work it out. You spend 24 years asleep, two years looking for things, and six months waiting for red traffic lights to change, there's not much time to do anything else. <laughs> Life is pressurized today. We are people in a rush. You know, near me, there's a leisure center, one of these quite fancy affairs. It is fascinating to go in there and just people watch. Young men come with their tiny waists and their lycra, and middle-aged men come in old jogging suits they hadn't worn since they were in school with their rather larger waists. But the fascinating thing is where these people park their cars. And they do so in ever-increasing numbers in the disabled spaces just outside the front door. Selfishly, they could easily walk, they park there. Now, if you interrupted them in the gym in the middle of some aerobic nightmare and said, why can't you be fit enough just to walk 20 yards? Why do you have to pick the disabled spaces? They would say to you, I was in a rush. We are a people in a rush. The other day, the curator of a Washington Zoo said, most people look at the animals for about 10 seconds. He said, most tourists believe the hippopotami stay under the water for vast periods of time. Actually, said, the average is 90 seconds. But they don't hang around long enough to see the poor animal come up. We are a people in a rush. And many of the letters that come into us that focus on the family talk about the pressure that overcommitment put on families. I've talked about the overbusy man, but here's a letter from a career woman who came to believe it was time pressure that caused the family to break. She says, I entered an empty house and wandered around the rooms. They were gone. They'd ask me over and over again to give them time, but I had such a busy job, so many commitments. But all I wanted as I stood in that hollow house was them back again. 
I wanted to hear my child say, will you play with me now? I wanted to say, yes, of course I remembered Emma's birthday. I wanted to pull from its socket the telephone I'd never been able to resist ringing and rip the famous appointments diary in a hundred pieces. I wanted to tell them, you really mattered to me more than it all. What a poignant phrase. You mattered to me more than it all. We so often see clearly as we look back. Hey, what can we do about this? We can change. We can change. You know, the other day in my home, I got a piece of junk mail. I'll read it to you. It said, Dear Underachiever, <laughs> I am not trying to insult you or demean you. I think, thank goodness he's not trying. <laughs> I just happen to believe most people are underachievers. These unfulfilled men and women never reach potential. I believe in being a no-limit person, and I can make you one. It was seven in the morning. I stood, bleary-eyed, letter in hand, in the hallway of my home, gazing down at my slippers. I am wondering, would I like to be a no-limit person? Would I like to be able to run a full-time job, sit on endless committees, learn croquet and Italian in my spare time, and still build a strong relationship with my wife and children? Would I like to say yes every time anybody asks me to do something, still have space for my own family? Would I wish I was Superman, I could fly and juggle at the same time? You bet I do. But I can't. And the reason I can't is because time is limited. Whether I am rich or poor, clever or dull, I have exactly the same amount of time as everybody else. Time is limited. Every day comes to me full of 1,440 minutes. By the time I've woken up, remembered it's not Saturday but Monday and had a wash, only a thousand of them are left. Every day I spend every one of them and every choice I make as to how I'll spend them precludes another. There is no shortage of time-saving devices. Fast food diaries allow us to plan every minute of the day. The only thing you and I don't have any more of is time. But none of us would live like this if we thought it would always be the same. None of us would miss time with our wife, our husband, our friends, our children if we thought life would always be this busy. So we fool ourselves. We say this is just a busy period. Life won't always be this way. That is an illusion. Generally, that slower day never comes. I've made so many mistakes in this area, but one day it dawned on me that although I was relatively successful, my own family was slipping through my fingers. I talked about that experience in a book I wrote called The 60 Minute Father. And wherever in the world that book is sold, people thank me particularly for just one line. That line tries to tell us, go for your career, go for your job, be the best that you can be in whatever you do. But give time to those you love. If you don't, you may look back with tremendous regret. And the line, oh, it's very simple. The line is, nobody ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Key phrase number four, we are always fighting over something. You know, I'm very wary of couples who tell me they never have arguments, aren't you? They remind me of that couple in their 90s who, while they were in their 90s, began divorce proceedings. They'd always given the impression they had the perfect marriage. Friends said to them, why now after all these years? They said, well, we, we wanted to wait until the children uh, uh, were dead. <laughs> 
Listen, you and I will experience conflict in our home for many reasons. Let me give you some reasons. Number one, we've already looked at expectations. We expected so much more of these people. You and I will know conflict because we care so much. This is our wife, our husband. These are our children. Sure, we've been heard to say, no, I'm not his mother. I think his mother went that way, but they're ours. We have conflict because we care so much. And you and I will have conflict because none of us come to relationships with a clean slate. We all carry baggage. None of us come with a clean slate. We would do well to identify it, to talk about it, to share. If we do, it will help when ghosts come visiting. And fourthly, you and I will know conflict in our home because we're all changing. We get used to these children as babies, then they're toddlers, then they're teenagers. We want them to have their own opinions so long as they're the same as ours. And we're all changing in marriage. One marriage expert said, and I think it's right, that during the course of one marriage, we'll be married to at least three different people. Diane told me the other day she is fervently praying for number four. <laughs> You and I are going to have conflict. In fact, in itself, it's not a bad thing. You know the problem with many marriages is not they fight too much, they don't fight enough. There is rather what someone has called a creeping separateness. They just grow apart over the years. The important thing is how we handle conflict. In some marriages, conflict becomes an integral part of the relationship and eventually destroys it. Here are four classic bad moves that can lead to that situation. Bad move number one, forget the issue, attack the person. Imagine your wife has forgotten your son's dental appointment and you scream at her, how come you forgot John's dental appointment? That's not a big problem, you can have a fight over that. But when you add, you are such a useless wife and mother, you attack her very person. And it's always wrong. Your child will get over, how come you got a D in maths? I'm sure if you work harder you could get up to a B. You can scar for life with, you are such a loser. If you don't do better, you'll never be as clever as your brother. When you attack someone's person, you almost scar their very so, bad move number two, widen the issue. See, in conflict, we don't just stick to the issue, we love to widen the issue to bolster our argument. So we don't just say to our wife, how come you forgot John's dental appointment? You are such a lousy wife and mother, we add. That's why last year's holiday with my mother <laughs> was such a disaster. Now the fascinating thing, it's the person who has that said to them doesn't normally say, just a moment, what on earth has last year's holiday with your mother got to do with a dental appointment? Now actually there are some similarities, mostly to do with pain. But they don't say that. No, they widen the argument. Oh, you want to talk about that? You, I will never forget the time you humiliated me at that office party. How come you got overlooked for promotion again? See, every marriage has five or six old mortar bombs that they bring out in time of conflict. We would do well to lay them down, if only to find new ones. <laughs> Bad move number three, never lose an argument. There is nothing more destined to create terminal conflict in a marriage than one of the partners being brilliant with words. These creatures always have the final say, 
They have the ability to twist, forget, manipulate, quote expert authority, and generally make you wish you hadn't bothered starting this particular fight. They really believe they win arguments. What they don't see is what they leave behind, the bitterness inside. There's only one hope for such a partner, they must learn to lose arguments, to back off, to let the person who's not so articulate share what is on their heart. And if they do, they'll discover two things. Number one, winning arguments is nothing like as important as it appears to be. And secondly, within two days, you can't even remember what the argument was about. Bad move number four. Forget the power of the tongue. We should never forget the power of the tongue. The tongue has the ability to bring people up and to drag them down. I meet people sometimes and I watch them as a man will bring his wife down in public, a woman tear into her husband in public. They say, oh, that's just my character, it's just my humor. No, it's not. Often it happens when people are basically very insecure in themselves and the only way they can bring themselves up is to tear others down. The power of the tongue is awesome. Tom was always bringing Susan down in public, an old joke over her weight. And she began to retort with jokes about his intellectual ability. She was brighter than him. They were a regular sideshow at parties. And one day she wrote him this letter. Darling, I'm writing to you because I think I can best express how I feel in a letter. I am so afraid of the way we tear each other apart in public, and I'm going to stop doing it. Foolishly, I've tried to give back as good as I've got, but I know if we go on living like this, our love for each other will eventually die. From now on, when it happens, I'm simply going to leave wherever we are. I know that will be embarrassing for both of us, but it's better than the slanging match we're putting on at the moment. Let's both try. Tom brought his wife down one more time. You'll never forget it. They were friends having a meal, and he made the old joke about weight. Suddenly she stood up, she didn't say goodbye, she just walked out. That night they had the biggest fight of their life, but he never ever did it again. She said in her heart, I can't change you apparently, but I can change me. Oh, the power of that tongue. But you know, even if we learn by these methods to deal with conflict well, there are some situations where it lies a little deeper than technique. Oh, those memories. You know, it's sometimes said that time gives events a rosier hue. I believe it must be true. It must be that that allows us to look back on the time when our children were very small and hardly scream. <laughs> we remember the time that little Johnny spilled paint over the brand new carpet and we laugh about it now. We forget at the time we wanted practically to climb up the wall. But here is a great mystery. If time is so clever at flushing from our minds the many horrors of the past, why do we find it so hard to forget those occasions when somebody we love has hurt us badly? Could be the memory of the affair or the way we were let down when we so desperately needed support at that time of our life. One man said, you don't realize what a good memory you've got until you try with all your heart to forget something. Time and time again people say to me, I wish I could forget, but I can't.
And yet, if we are to build strong relationships, we have to learn to let go of the past and forgive. Sometimes forgiveness is for very deep things, for harsh words, for humiliations. When Anne told Jack about the affair, it was already over. She wasn't sure what she'd expected him to do, and in her mind she'd run over hundreds of possibilities, including his leaving. What she didn't expect was nothing. No comment, no tears, no rage, just silence. For almost two months, and finally she wrote him a letter, Jack, if I could rewind this last year, I would do so at any cost. I don't know what made me do what I did. I know we're going through a bad time, but nothing that justified my doing this to you. I love you, and I love our children. But if you and I have any chance of staying together, I need to ask you to do something I don't deserve. I need you to forgive me. I don't need you to tell me again how wrong I've been. I know that now. I just need you to forgive me. The road back for them began with that letter and with his crying like a child for the whole day. But he did forgive. Together they decided that day to begin again to do all they could to forget the past. It is not an easy path. It didn't mean that some mornings he still didn't wake with that old feeling in his stomach. But as an act of the will, he vowed to let go of the past. Happened seven years ago. To this very day he's never thrown it at her. Never raised it when losing an argument over something else. And they have found love again in spite of it all. Forgiveness is not deciding to become a doormat. A man who cannot decide between his mistress and his wife and family comes on weekends and then goes back to his mistress on a Monday and who says like a five-year-old, I can't decide, I want both of you, does not need forgiveness so much as he needs something that will clarify his mind. And sometimes that will be a wife saying, I love you more than you know, but I cannot go on sharing you like this. It's time for you to decide. Forgiveness is not magical. We can ask too much of it. Sometimes we expect things to be exactly as they were, but sometimes time must be in the healing process. But forgiveness is very powerful. It feels pain, but doesn't hoard it. It allows tomorrow to break free of yesterday. It is always hard, sometimes foolish, and almost godlike. There is no hope for us without it. When my little boy was four years old, I was on a beach and there were some people water skiing. He said, Dad, can I water ski? I said, Son, you can't even swim. I said to the man, can he try? He said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll put him on a wide board and the boat will tow him around the bay. They put two big rubber rings on Lloyd. You could just see his head and little feet underneath. The man said, sit on the board, son, and the boat pulled him out. When he was 50 yards out, he stood. My son skied all the way around the bay. And as he was coming in, he must have been about 10 yards from the beach. For no apparent reason, he fell off. When he got to the sand, I said, son, you are great, but why did you fall off like that? Daddy said, I wanted to do it just like you. <laughs> I have thought so much about the little boy. What made him stand in the middle of that vast ocean? If you'd put a ramp in front of him and said, Lloyd, try the ramp, try it on one leg, put the rope in your teeth. He'd have said, no, I can't do that. But somewhere in the middle of that vast ocean, a little boy said to himself, you know, I think I could just begin. I think I could stand. Sometimes it's like that at moments. Our, our heads are 
just whirling with many things we hardly know where to begin but sometimes we have to find something small that will allow us to bring the most powerful force on the face of the earth into being the power of change we have to begin thank you so much We just don't have time for each other. I'm always completely riveted listening to Rob Parsons telling stories and sharing his wisdom. I'm sure the last two days of listening to Rob's presentation has caused you to think about your marriage in a different way. Or perhaps you've decided to change the way you speak to your spouse after you heard Rob speak about the power of the tongue. I do hope that you've been impacted in some way by Rob's message. Because our heart at Focus on the Family is to see thriving marriages. And that last story about taking a step towards making something happen was especially powerful. Maybe your marriage needs work, but change won't necessarily happen overnight. At least begin and take a step in the right direction. The resource we're offering today is called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage by Mark Gungle. Couples need to work hard at maintaining their relationship and have the skills to pull it off. The longer spouses wait to learn these skills, the greater their chance of wanting to bail. Yet, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage makes it easy for couples to take their relationship to the next level. Mark proves that the key to marital bliss is not romance or destiny. It's work and skill. You'll find this resource on our website at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. I'm so glad you could join us today. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Alison Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll, as always, help you and your family thrive in Christ.